Welcome to the Voo Church Podcast. What does it look like to mature in the Lord, follow His lead, and walk in our calling? Today, Pastor Don Cherie Wilkerson sits down for a conversation with Pastor Denny Duran in this conversation on growing in maturity. For more conversations like this, check out the new podcast, Mature Me, with Rich Wilkerson Jr. Conversations on life, faith, and leadership. Now let's lean into the message together. Today we're in the middle of this collection called Mature Me. And this is week four. And I'm grateful today because I get to have a conversation with my hero. He actually has five sons running in the marathon right now. And um, he flew in from Shreveport, Louisiana. He's a pastor, he's a coach, he's an author, he is a musician. Um, My dad, Denny Durant, is in the house with us today. And uh, we're gonna welcome him in just a moment, but Ricks and I were like, we're in this four-week collection on Mature Me. We need someone who is mature. And my dad has so much wisdom and so much understanding. And the way that he communicates the gospel connects with every heart. He has a heart for the next generation. In fact, right now, Amazon created a docu-series on his coaching of the kids that he coaches at our Christian school. It's called God Family Football. You can check it out tonight when you go home, but it's an honor to have him here. Would you put your hands together for Pastor, Coach, Denny, Duran? Come on. You can high-five your neighbor, grab your seat, and we'll jump into this. Dad, how are you doing? I'm wonderful. I'm better being with you. I'm so glad you're here. I couldn't believe it. I was sitting there while standing during worship, and it dawned on me, you have, you have five sons running in the marathon right now. I know it. And they all survived so far. <laughs> yeah. They're all alive. Now, Did I'll he? have to admit, when I heard that Dakota and Dee were going to run without ever having trained today and try to do a half marathon, my faith said, maybe six miles. <laughs> Those dudes finished. They finished. They so got the half marathon. Dakota yeah. and Dee just finished. I think Dee is going to run straight to Design District location. Dakota's running straight to the city. Denny Rodney, my brother, is still running. Des, my brother, is still running. And Rich is yeah. still running. You got five. It's incredible. Amazing. Wonderful. I think that today, as we're on step four of this conversation on maturity, so grateful you're here. Well, I'm so grateful to be here. And I, every time I come here, I'm so moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say this, and I hope you don't get on to me later for saying this, Dawn Cherie, but, you know, you and Rich were so young when you jumped in to really establish this work that God had put in your heart. And it's obvious that you were right in the middle of the will of God because this entire Metroplex area will never be the same because of Vu Church and what God has done. But today, I had to wipe the tears away because I looked at you standing on this platform embracing this group, and God has certainly transformed you into, you're the mama of this movement. And the best. Wow. Well, we wouldn't, we really wouldn't be here if it wasn't for your faithfulness. And when I think about the maturity that you walk in, it, 
it was a decision you made a long time ago to follow Jesus because that wasn't always the direction of your life. And I think you've spent the last, you know, 40 years coaching young men, teaching them how to be mature men of God on the football field, in their Bibles, on a day-to-day basis. But it really started with the decision you made in your heart. You were going a completely different direction as a young man, right? Well, I really could have. When I was five years old, I had an experience with Christ. Here's what I want to say to all of you that have young children. How many of you have young children? Raise your hand. Now, I want to say this to you, and then the rest of you are going to have young children because you got to grow this church. <laughs> but what I will tell you is this. Don't you ever underestimate the ability of your child to embrace the presence of God. And that will be the experience when they are children that they will never forget. I don't remember a lot about my childhood, but I can tell you I will never forget the night that I experienced the overwhelming presence of Christ when I was five years old. And that stayed with me, but it, it, it began to kind of wane. And what you said is true, Don Cherie. I could have gone a different direction. I got very preoccupied in high school, as probably all high schoolers do. And I uh, was playing sports and just enjoying life and had some real goals in my life in athletics. And I uh, went to a track meet one day and there was a kid that was sitting in the middle of the high jump pit and he was singing this silly little song. Now, I was a high jumper, but that really doesn't describe what I did every track meet. I never jumped very high. <laughs> in fact, this was the guy that was my only competition. We competed for last place every track meet. <laughs> and he's... He's singing this little song, sitting in the, in the pit. And I walked up and I said, well, man. I said, you're sure happy today. And he turned and began to preach to me. He just, he just got up in that pit. And, the, you know, the other high jumpers were gathered around. And he said, yeah, I'm happy. I went to a church last night that changed my life. And he said, Christ has so filled my heart. And he said this, and I didn't get it, but he said, I wouldn't sin if you offered it to me on a silver platter. He said, God has changed my life. And then he gave this great big kick and went into the high jump pit and just was so full of joy. And, and let me say this to you. There is nothing in the world that translates to somebody that is searching spiritually like that three-letter word, joy. We're all looking for it, joy. And I said, where are you guys meeting? They, he said, well, we're across the, the bridge of Bossier City, who is our twin city in Shreveport, and uh, at this little Baptist church, Sunflower Baptist, and we are in the basement. I don't even think Sunflower Church honestly knew what was happening there because I don't think that they would have given them permission to do what they were doing. They were having a Holy Ghost meeting. And I walked in that night expecting to see some kids that I had seen at the various church youth rallies. None of those people were there. These were all unchurched kids, or either they were kids that went to various denominational groups but weren't real active. But they had followed that same kid and others like him to that room because of joy. They wanted that joy. And I sat there in a circle and there was a young lady that was sitting next to me and she was filled with the Holy Spirit, just right before my eyes, just so filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And then there was a guy that got up across the circle and he looked like he was in a voo worship moment. I mean, his hands were lifted and he was dancing before the Lord. And he had been the biggest drug pusher at my school the year before. And I said, God, I don't know what these kids have, but whatever they have, I want it. And here's truth number two for some of you. The Lord spoke to me and said, you have it. You just don't know what you have. And I think it's a sad thing that many, many of us who know Jesus and have his life in us go through our lives never really knowing what we have. But that night, I said, okay. And I lifted my hands and I released the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you ask me, why are you still sitting here at 71 years old, still lit up with the presence of God? I would have to tell you, it was because of that night. Wow, it's incredible. And that, that one encounter, yeah. 71, and you remember that night as a teenager like it was yesterday. God marked you. 16 years old. 16. Yeah. And you decided at that moment, God so transformed your life. He, he changed the trajectory. You were thinking music. You were thinking you were going to do your own thing, rock band. And then God really calls you not, not to be silent about your faith. Yeah. How did how did you decide as a teenager, like I hear the stories of how bold you were in your faith. Can you share a little bit about that? Because yeah. you decided to trust God and it matured you quickly. Yeah, and you know, and, and I did, I had that experience with Christ, so I wasn't turning back. And I even went out the next, the next day, I can remember taking my Bible to school. That was a first. And going into the lunchroom and sharing Christ with my friends. And I did that out of the overflow of what was happening. Let me just say this to you. Some of you are like in a decision process and you're wondering how in the world could I ever live like that? How in the world could I ever do that? How in the world could I ever be that? Those questions are not the questions you should be asking because the difference in Christianity, and please hear me, is that we serve the only God who has expressed his great desire and intention to actually come and live within your heart. And when he comes in, John 1 and 12 says this, for as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. And, and Don Cherie, what happened was this, I, I had my experience at 16, but I got my calling at 17. Because I, I didn't wanna preach the gospel. My dad was a preacher. My mom was a preacher. You had no I, plans no, to be a preacher. My grandmother was a preacher. I mean, enough, that's enough preachers. <laughs> and so I, I made a deal with God because church was pretty much my life. And uh, my deal with God was this. I was a singer, and I said, I'll sing for you, just don't make me preach. That's my deal. Only problem is I couldn't get God's signature on that contract. But I, I, I pursued it, I really, and faithfully, knowing that I could eventually convince him. And so every time my father asked me to sing, I said, oh, absolutely, I'm, I'm ready to sing. And sometimes my dad would go to neighboring cities and he would do a series of special meetings. We called them revival meetings. And so he would speak for like three nights in a row for a friend of his that pastored in a nearby community. 
so often he would ask me to go, and I always said yes because I had this contract with God, unsigned by God, but it was still my contract. I was pursuing it, trying to close him. And so I got up to sing that night at this little church that my dad was preaching at, and uh, he pulled on my coattail and said, uh, say something. Well, I, I, that didn't bother me because we used to have what we call testimony services at our church. And there were little ladies in my church that had memorized these great little succinct testimonies. And so I memorized them too. And I always had a couple of those in my pocket. So if you ask me to testify, bam, I gave you one of those. Now, if it got past two times, I was in trouble. But I had two of them down pat. And one of them was this, and I gave it that night. I just thank the Lord that he saved me, filled me with the Holy Ghost, put me on my road to heaven. And I, I was going to say that, but this is what happened. I opened my mouth. And you remember that power I said that had been released? Well, that night, it got released again. Because I opened my mouth, and when I opened my mouth, this anointing, this energy from God came on me and in me and through me. And for 20 minutes, I never reached for a syllable. I preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's incredible. I, Don Shree, I gave an invitation. People came to Christ. I still wasn't convinced. I thought that was a wonderful experience. Lord, I'm going to sing for you. Remember? I came the next night, the same thing happened. I took the service two nights in a row away from my dad. And as I was down front after the service was over, I noticed on the communion table, there was a big Bible. I mean, this, you know, these Bibles are huge. You, you had them in your churches, many of you. It, whether you were Catholic or Protestant, you remember these Bibles. They had like great paintings and everything. I mean, you can't carry those things. You'd get a hernia take, trying to take those to church, you know. But, there, but it was wide open on the communion table, and it was open to Jeremiah, the first chapter. And this was the story of this young man, Jeremiah, at 16 years old, experiencing God calling him to preach. And these were the words that my eyes fell on that night. Before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. Before you came out of the belly, I sanctified you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. Don't say I'm young, for I have called you and I have put my words in your mouth. And at that point, let me tell you, there was not only was there no fight, I was so overwhelmed and honored that God would want me to speak for him. So beautiful, and I think that we're coming out of 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I just sense that there are people that have had experiences like that over the last three years, three weeks, as they've been pursuing the presence of God, that God's called them, he's marked them, and maybe they're coming out of these 21 days going, okay, what's next, God? I, I feel your fire within me. I feel the fresh touch. We've been having prayer meetings. We've been gathering in the mornings. People are hungry for the presence of God. When you have an encounter and a moment of calling when God marks you, how do you continue 
to step forward pursuing God. You know, it's, I'm so glad you're talking about the fast because fasting is not to get God's attention. Fasting is to refine your spiritual senses. You know what happens when you fast? You can smell a hamburger two blocks away. It's Am so I true. telling the truth? Huh? So true. Yeah, yeah. If you drink out of a glass that's had a Coca-Cola in it, you think you're having a soft drink, even though it's just water. I mean, the senses are just, it's crazy what fasting. The same things happen spiritually. Because you see, our senses were given to us, not just smell and taste and touch, but our spiritual senses were given to us so that we could sense God in the atmosphere. And listen, so that we could hear him and his inaudible voice in our spirits. When we are so feasting on the lights and the sound and the energy and the places and the cuisine of this world, we're so stuffed with other things, we can't hear him speak. But when you wait on him, you know the word of God says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. What waiting is, is refining your spiritual senses. Getting into a flow where you can actually hear the voice of God. Now, I just, I just shared two experiences, and I want to clarify that. Not everybody has an experience like that. Denny Rodney, I think, is preaching tonight. Well, My brother Denny will be preaching tonight well, in the 6 p.m. It's going to be well, Denny, special. Denny was a baseball player at uh, Pepperdine. And so, I, and I'll tell you, if you want me to share this experience later, I can. But I went to Louisiana Tech, and we saw an amazing visitation of God at Louisiana Tech in 1973. It was extraordinary. And uh, I was giving Denny advice, being at Pepperdine, of how he should start a revival, how he should start an awakening there among his teammates. And, and I said, this is what you do. And I started giving him everything I did. I said, this is what you do. You put a prayer meeting sign on your dorm room that says prayer meeting here, nine o'clock every night. I said, then you do this. Go to the head of buildings and grounds and ask them if you can just rent, they'll give it to you for free probably, a, a bench out in the middle of the campus. And then you get on that bench. And at noon, when everybody empties into that campus, you preach to those people. His eyes got bigger and bigger. He looked at me and he said, Dad, I'm not gonna do any of that. And then he said something profound. He said, you saw a burning bush. That's why you did all that. He said, I haven't seen a burning bush. And most people haven't seen a burning bush. And you know, he was exactly right. The reason I began in boldness to share my faith from that point on. And the reason I began to preach the gospel at a young age was because I had seen a burning bush. I had a powerful encounter with Jesus. But please hear me, even though you might not have what I had, because not everybody did. There was only one guy in the Bible that had a burning bush experience, and that was Moses. But what I will tell you is this, you will have an encounter 
that number one is just as real, number two is just as powerful, number three is just as motivating and just as eternal as the one that I had. And it will, listen to me, it will change everything about you. When you make the step to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, it will not be a philosophical move. It will not be an ideological move. It will be a power move with the transfer of the power of heaven into your heart. That's it. And our world needs it. Our world is desperate for us to get out of these walls, yeah. to, to take the fire inside of us, the love, the joy. I love that you said that, that, that our joy is contagious to our workplaces, to our universities, to our classrooms. Um, you know, VU is made up of so many different age groups, but we all have a sphere of influence. We all have people that desperately need what we have found. And I think it's a burden for people that haven't found Jesus that really gives us the boldness to step out and to share. And it's not our strength, it's his strength. And when we just obey, when we just open up our mouth, how many of you know God starts to move? And so he takes your personal encounter and suddenly he can create spiritual renewal on your university. Mm. He can create spiritual yes. renewal in your business, yes. in your classroom, in your high school, wherever you are. He wants to take that personal encounter with Jesus and he wants to use it to bring others to him. And, and I love that you talked about the revival that took place at Louisiana Tech because I got to go to my dad's 50 year anniversary reunion with his team. And um, I don't wanna spoil it, but they, they won the national championship that year that he played. And this year I got to be in a room with all of these incredible athletes. And you know what they got up and talked about the entire time at the national championship reunion? They talked about the move of God. They talked about how Jesus set them free and saved them and transformed their legacies 50 years later. All of these different families coming together, testifying that what God did so long ago is still stronger than ever in their lives today. It really marked me, but it really just started by, by sharing your personal experience. Like what happened at this, I mean, this state school? It's not a Christian school. Everybody's going crazy. It's the 60s, the 70s, it's the 70s. What happened there? Well, first of all, I wish you wouldn't stop. You're my favorite preacher in the world. I love you. My goodness. Isn't that wonderful? Wow. I didn't plan to go play any football. I was, I was playing football in high school, and that had been a part of my distraction. And so when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and then I was called into ministry in that supernatural kind of way. I just said, look, I'm done with athletics. I'm gonna go to a seminary, prepare to preach the gospel. And so Louisiana Tech came and offered me a scholarship as a wide receiver. And I uh, had played quarterback in high school. They said, you're not really the kind of quarterback we're looking for, but we heard you can run a little bit. And we'd love to offer you a scholarship to come play wide out at Louisiana Tech. And I said, no, I said, I'm not coming coach. Um, I'm going to preach the gospel. And I just, you know, made sure that he understood that. My mom and dad were in the room. And uh, they, you know, affirmed that, that I'd had the call of God on my life. He said, well, look, it's Terry Bradshaw's last game in college. 
And uh, some of you know Terry Bradshaw, and some of you don't because he's that old, you know, same age I am, so you don't know him. But Terry Bradshaw, of course, won four Super Bowls, and he was the number one draft choice of the Pittsburgh Steelers out of Louisiana Tech that very next year. And so he was playing his last game, and so I said, well, and my mom and dad nodded. You go ahead and go. I said, okay, I'll come to the game. So I went to the game, and Terry was amazing that night. He, I've never seen a player like him in college. And, and then uh, everybody was gracious, and, and the campus was beautiful. I wasn't impressed by any of it because I knew what my road was ahead until I stood there in that stadium at the end of the game, and I saw thousands of college students emptying out of those stands. And the Lord spoke to me. Now, let me explain that because you're going to hear that in my testimony several times. Not an audible voice, but when your spiritual senses are in tune, you are able to hear the loud thoughts of God in your spirit that you know didn't come from yourself. And this is what that loud thought said that night. I have called you here to reach those young people. I have called you here. And this is the part I didn't understand. There were no Tim Tebow's around at that time. I didn't know one Christian professional athlete in my day. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I have come, I've called you to play football for my glory. I didn't know how you'd do that. Play football for his glory. And so that's the reason I did those things. I was just doing whatever I thought of to do. I, I put a prayer meeting sign up on my door, 9 o'clock prayer meeting here every night in the football dormitory, which they called the animal ward, the zoo, because it was so wild. And uh, we had an average attendance of two every night, my roommate and I. He didn't always want to be there. It was his room. He had no place to go. <laughs> and um, we began to watch God do, do things that were amazing. It was as if the Holy Spirit came and lived on that floor and one by one began to visit those rooms. Next week, they have, or next month, they have Black History Month. And uh, one of my teammates, who I actually recruited to Louisiana Tech, was Roland Harper. Roland played fullback for the Chicago Bears for nine years. He was the blocker for sweetness, Walter Payton, one of the best backs to ever play in the NFL. And Roland Harper, one night, walked down to my dorm out room, and he said, you got any music? I said, yes, I've got some music. And I reached over and got an eight-track tape. Some of you don't remember even seeing an eight track. You have to go to a museum to see an eight. We used to carry these in our car, and you could only take about five of them because they were so big. It was crazy. So I got the eight track tape and I handed it to him, and he went back to his room. Well, I just decided I'd walk down to see how he liked the music. And when I walked in, he was on his knees and he was weeping. And I slipped down beside him on my knees at his bed. And I said, Roland, what's going on, man? He said, Danny, he said, there's a song on that tape. 
that says what makes a man turn his back on God. He said, I don't want to turn my back on God. And right there, he gave his life to Jesus. So he's coming back to be the grand marshal of the parade for Black History Month. And he called me from Chicago a few days ago and he said, Danny, they asked me who I wanted to introduce me. I told them, Denny Duran, because he led me to Jesus and he still has a powerful testimony. That was the kind of thing that began to happen every week for a long time during the months that I was at Louisiana Tech. And then the football thing got crazy. He said, I'm going to ask you to play football for my glory. Well, one day in practice, after our starting quarterback had graduated that followed Bradshaw, I was warming up on the field, spring practice. Coach walked over and he said, Duran, you're throwing the ball better back to the quarterback. He's throwing it to you. He said, I'm moving you to quarterback tomorrow. And I went to my room and I got on my knees. I said, God, please don't let them do this to me. Man, I liked it out there. It was a lot safer. You didn't have all that responsibility. And again, the loud thoughts of God. Now, folks, this is supernatural. Uh, but if you want verification for it, you can go on YouTube after you leave the service and you can Google Louisiana Tech Revival and you can see a three-minute video that'll verify everything I'm about to tell you because it's a little bit out there. Uh, the Lord spoke to me as I was praying and he said, I have moved you to quarterback and you're going to lead this team to its first undefeated season in history. Well, I, I did become the quarterback by default. The starting quarterback left in the middle of the night to become a bartender in Austin. I have no idea why. <laughs> I don't remember that part. Yeah. Yeah. The the second string quarterback left in the middle of a drill. He got mad at the coach. Quit. The third quarterback couldn't run out of sight in a day. So the coach wanted to get on the edge with the lead option. And so I got the job by default, guys. I was the only one left. I was it. And um, the first game, we barely slipped by the weakest team on our schedule, seven to nothing. I only completed three passes out of 16 attempts. Ladies, that's really bad if you don't know. <laughs> and uh, after the game was over, we barely won. Second string quarterback, couldn't run outside today, came in and led us to our only touchdown. We won seven to nothing. I walk into the coach's office, my offensive coordinator. And I said, coach, don't move me. And he looked at me. I said, don't move me. I said, I know I didn't play well. And he gave me that look like, well, that's an understatement. I said, but don't move me. I said, God has ordained me to play quarterback. And I said, we're going to go undefeated. And he got me out of his office so quickly. <laughs> he thought, my cheese had slipped off my cracker. <laughs> but at the end of 12 games, 11 regular season and a bowl game victory, an ABC reporter walked in, put the microphone in my face, and he said, the first undefeated season in the history of Louisiana Tech, how did it happen? And I was waiting for this moment because I was about to play football for God's glory. And I said, it, 
I said, it wasn't me, and I said, it wasn't us, it was God. I asked him for an 11-0 season, he gave us a 12-0, and sir, that shows you what Jesus can do. And here's what I want to tell you. When I was 15 years old, there was a band that had asked me to sing for them, very good musicians in my high school. I saw them set up and start playing across the street from where I was working out. They didn't see me. And they started playing a song by the doors. I knew every word. I stood on that curb and I sang every word. Sounded pretty good, folks. And uh, the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, what's that in your hand? I said, Lord, it's a football. He said, if you'll give it to me, I'll use it. You see what you need to understand and what you need to hear this morning is this. You will not be a minister because you're called to preach like I was called. You will not be one who has an impact in your world because you have a job description that is clergy or worship leader or Bible teacher. No, you know what God's after? Whatever's in your hand. That's all he wants. Just what you got. You know, Don Cherie, what would be a wonderful thing is today, just in the quietness and stillness of this moment, and in the depth of these wonderful believers' hearts, if they would each make a fresh consecration of not only who they are, but what they do to God. Wouldn't it be great if today you just took that business and you put it on the altar of God and said, God, I'll never do it for me again. From now on, I do this for you. Wouldn't it be great if you as an educator would determine that Monday morning you're gonna walk in as the anointed servant and prophet of God teaching world history? Wouldn't it be amazing if you as a high school or a college student would determine that you are not where you are just biding your time until you can get a diploma that qualifies you to have a job, but that you are where you are because you've been placed there by God and there are people all around you that need the Jesus that you know. I believe God is asking that question. What's in your hand? And when you give it to him, he'll sanctify it, that is, set it apart. He'll anoint it. He'll empower it. He'll use it. And there will be people that will thank you for all eternity that you gave God that part of your life. Come on, can we put our hands together? Why don't we... Why don't we stand up to our feet all over this room? Dad, I'd, I'd love it if you just take some time to minister. I know that it's your heart for people to meet Jesus, but where, wherever you feel led in this moment. Uh, here's what I wanna ask. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God? Would you raise your hand all over this place? Just put your hand, could you leave it up for a second? You can put them down. How many of you believe that Jesus actually physically was raised from the dead the third day and that he right now is alive. Would you raise your hand? Yes, put your hands down. But here's the interesting thing. There are 
millions of people around the world that believe those facts. And if you're to look at your Bible, what you will see is that the things that you've just confessed to are the things that are necessary for you to call yourself born again or saved or accepting Christ or finding Jesus. You've heard of all those terms. You have the very basis of a relationship with God. But what I've discovered is that everywhere I go, there are people that have embraced those truths, but they have not sealed the deal. You say, what do you mean seal the deal, Denny? Well, let me explain this way. I have a friend in Shreveport, Louisiana, who has a restaurant. His name is Ernest Palmasano. How we love Ernest. When Don Cherie comes, Ernest is in heaven. He loves what he says are my babies. And this wonderful Italian man from New Orleans has this wonderful restaurant. In fact, I'll take you there when you come see me. And we won't even order. He'll just bring it. And it's more than, it's just wonderful. I can't get sidetracked. I'm doing something spiritual here. And now I'm... I found out that he'd been robbed. Some young guys had come in with stockings over their face and had beat him up, robbed him right after closing. And so the next day, I got over there as quick as I could. And it was the mid-morning. He only, you know, serves in the evening. So we had the dining room to ourselves. And we sat down over a cup of coffee. And I said, Ernest, tell me about it, buddy. He said, oh. He said, I'm going to tell you, it was close. He said, the only thing that saved me was this. And he reached in and took a picture of Jesus out and showed me a picture of Jesus. I said, Ernest, has anybody ever told you how you can be sure you're going to heaven if something like that ever went south? He said, nobody shared it with me. I said, would you like me to share that with you? I sure would appreciate it. So I shared with him how that because he's a believer, that he could make a commitment to Jesus. And with that verbal commitment, Christ promises to make a commitment to you that is lifelong and to put your name in the book of life. And that's all in the Bible. Some people don't even know that that's not even in the fine print. That's the Bible. And so I finished telling him, and he said, well, I sure appreciate it. I said, well, Ernest, do you want to take care of that right now? You want to seal this deal? Yes, I do. And he jumped down on his knees. And I prayed with him, and he said, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you're resurrected from the dead, that you're alive today. But today, I make a decision to follow you. And I ask you to come into my life. You see, it's that second part that is necessary to act upon the faith that you already have in your heart. Nobody here that can receive Jesus or take that next step unless they believe in Him. But because you are a believer, you right now have an opportunity to make it official, to seal the deal. Well, later in the afternoon, later that day, a 
mutual friend of ours came by to see him as well. And when he walked in, he said, hey, our buddy came by. He said, you mean Denny? He said, oh yeah, he took care of me. He got me in. So here's the fact. I came to get you in today. I want to know how many of you right here in this place will say, I am a believer, Denny, but I haven't taken that next step. But you'll say today, it, it, it doesn't make sense not to take that step. You say, absolutely, I'm going to take the next step. And all I'm going to do is pray with you and the deal will be sealed and your name will be in the book of life. So I'm going to ask you how many of you will say, I'm a believer, but I haven't taken the next step, but I want to do that right now, right where I'm standing. Raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand all over this place, please. All over this place. All over this place. Yeah, that's wonderful. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray with me because this is a contract. Somebody say contract. Now, here's the cool thing. You are not making a contract that you're never going to sin again. You're not making a contract that you're going to live a perfect life. You're not making a contract that you're going to keep all the rules. You're not making a contract that you're going to be strong every time you should be strong and never weak. What you're making a contract of is this. You're going to accept the fact that Jesus died on the cross. Therefore, he has cleansed you with his own blood and he has empowered you with his own spirit and he will do both his part and yours. So I need you to pray with me, everybody in the place, because we always love celebrating people that are just having this wonderful experience of getting in. So I'm going to ask everyone to pray this prayer with me. Jesus Christ, I gladly lifted my hand to say that I believe in you and that I believe you're resurrected and that you're alive. So why wouldn't I commit to you? Today, I officially ask you to come and live in my heart and to do everything and more that I have heard in this place today. I need you and I need you to be more than a belief. I need you to be my Lord, my Savior, my friend, my defender. I need you, so I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me for all of my sins. We're all sinners. We have to be forgiven. So forgive me and empower me now. Change my mind, my desires and what I see ahead of me. In the name of Jesus, I rejoice because I know you from this moment on as my personal Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, 
Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present, and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we want to partner with you in the next steps on your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com slash online. We love you.